Radio TRO is in search of sponsors. Sponsors get a detailed product mention at the beginning of every episode in our catalog. You can submit your own advertisement or we can read one for you. Visit email.tro.bike and contact us directly to learn more. Hey folks, Maggie Dean here, just reaching out to tell you about a couple of great tours we have coming up. One is for the newbies and the other for the seasoned curve carvers. If you're new to motorcycle touring, check out the LMCT, Lake Michigan Circle Tour, which takes place from Sunday, July 14th to Saturday, July 20th. It's a beginner-friendly scenic bike tour around Lake Michigan with all the planning and organizing done for you. It's ideal for couples, three-wheel riders, and small groups. It offers a balanced mix of fun curves, beautiful scenery, and rest stops. If you've always wanted to go on a small group motorcycle tour but have yet to do so, this tour is for you. And for all you rabid twisty travelers, check out TRO's Wisco Disco Tour. Based in Wisconsin, this tour is perfect for experienced riders visiting as much of the Driftless area as possible over three days. Our well-vetted routes are pre-planned, so just take the time off and join us. It's a great opportunity to ride in an intimate setting away from the solo digital world. Tiro's Wisco Disco Tour launches Wednesday, August 7th, and concludes Sunday, August 11th. Again, that's two tours approaching. Visit tiro.bike, mouse over events, and select group tours to learn more. Hello, everybody. This is Travis Burleson. I'm Robin Dean. And this is the RidingObsession.com podcast. And to kick things off, Travis, how was your week? I was good, you know, same old, uh, working on uh, getting the BMW put back together, which hopefully I'll have the oil seal by Friday, and uh, we'll start reassembling the motor. And then I got some O-rings in for the carbs on the CB1000, but I ordered them from a third-party supplier, and some of them don't quite fit right, so I ordered some more in a slightly different size, and when those come in, I will put the carbs together. And we were talking about this before we started. You were saying, so are they too small, too big? They're too big. So what I did, because I don't know if we talked about it last podcast or not, Honda like discontinued the parts. No. So when you go to the parts fiche, there's all these O-rings for the carburetor assembly. Has been replaced by? Yeah, and they're all replaced by this one part number, <laughs> but that one part number doesn't have all the O-rings in it. Great. So every, okay, so this alternator has been replaced by this exhaust. <laughs> sort of. Now, it, was, it was replaced by this week's sponsor. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. Um, yeah, so the, the, yeah, because there's three tubes that connect each carburetor, which means you need six gaskets times three and you get four four O-rings in a pack. <laughs> Let me get the. You said there's three tubes. Three tubes. So there's an O-ring. Six. Yeah, six times. So you need eighteen. No, because there's only three connections. Six for every joint. Three joints. That's eighteen. Something like that. Except it's a. It, it's kind of weird though because actually you only need twelve. <laughs> so two of them are offset. Well, you need no. You you need fourteen actually. 
good luck, man. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what else? Oh, did I took uh, yesterday, took the valve cover off and checked the valves on it. And they were all in spec. But the it seems like it's leaking oil from the valve cover gasket, which wasn't torn but is rock hard and 20 years old. So I ordered one of those, and hopefully that is my oil leak. I think that might be the oil leak on that bike. And if it's there and not in the alternator, that would be awesome. So what should be spongy paper is actually rock-hard plastic. Uh, yeah, like spongy rubber. I mean, it should be rubber, but it's it kind of feels like wood. No big deal. You can take care of that. Yeah, another 50 bucks into my $1,800 bike. <laughs> That's quickly becoming a $2,000 plus bike, $2,500 bike. At least it's got a lot of basic and stereotype, uh, what's the right word? Universal Japanese parts. UJM. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's uh, it's coming along. I figure I'll keep it for another year, especially if I can get it running real nice. It's it's a fun bike to ride. So Unlike uh, Kevin came over and was working on his KTM, mm-hmm. that is not universal or typical in any way. It, we, we couldn't check the valves on it. You need a special tool. Yeah, there's video of us riding together on uh, a Wisconsin back road. He really does quite a bit of street level performance on that thing. Uh, whatever. On a giant, you know, 12 inches of suspension adventure, 640 adventure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the valves, you know, how, like on a street bike, you take the valve cover off and you can see the cams and, you know, the cam chain and sprockets. And like you can see how the valve, you could take the whole cover off. You can basically see the whole valve train from the top. All within view. Yeah. Um, on his, it's like a dirt bike and you just take out like two little viewports and you have to like work in these little, like you can't see the cams. You can just see where like the rocker arm touches the valve spring and it's, 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 you know, maybe an inch and a half by three inches. Now that's where I begin to get upset about newer model bikes where, like you said, everything becomes so specific to a special tool Mm -hmm. that it becomes really difficult to interchange what you would do to maintain a bike. Yeah, like the regular the regular feeler gauges won't go in. You need ones that are They say KTM on the side? Nothing Motion Pro makes them, but they like they're whereas like a regular feeler gauge is made about a half inch wide. You know, it's whatever thousands thick, but it's a half inch wide. Yeah. Like you need ones that are a lot smaller than that. Because mm-hmm. like the the cap that's on top of the valve spring is dished and then the adjuster screw sits in that dish. So you need something that's narrow enough to go down in the dish and, and, and feel the gap. Um, yeah, and also we couldn't find top dead center the way you're supposed to because unlike most other road bikes where you remove a plug and look at a mark on the crank, on this one you just have to look in the oil sight glass that's uh, that's cast, you know, a little piece of glass, the little plastic window that's cast into the engine cover. Mm-hmm. But he's got whatever, 30,000, 40,000 miles on that bike and you that sight glass is all hazed over and cracked like you can't see enough to it. So we just had to like... We had to like look down in the cylinder and watch the piston come up and then watch the valves actuate and figure out where top dead center was. That's too bad because KTM's amazing. You know, every time I see one of their bikes, I'm impressed by it. But just like any other new modern bike, it's isolated or seemingly so. Yeah, I think they just figured out a way to make a six, whatever, something, 640cc single cylinder make, you know, 65 horsepower and weigh 100 pounds. Sure. Because that bike is so big. Like, by the way, I moved it around the garage to make room um, before the guys came over to, to work on stuff. And I could just scoot that thing around the garage like it was nothing, even though I can't touch the ground when I'm sitting on it. Nice. <laughs> 
and, and it's it looks big and it's got a huge gas tank, but it's it's surprisingly light. Unlike the big one, which is basically just a tractor, <laughs> but it's easy to work on. Sure. How was your week? Well, the past two weeks were ups, a lot of ups and downs. You know, we lost David Bowie, which that was an enormous drag. I grew up listening to his music, so that took everybody by surprise. I think that might have to do with why we took last week off to mourn the loss of a great music star. Or we were just busy. Or we were just busy, but you know we were mourning at the same time. Everybody was. I did get the alternator installed back onto my Bandit 1200. Happy to say that bike is probably leak-free now. It had three leaks. They're all gone from what I can predict. I believe the O-ring that that took care of it last time. Only to find afterwards that I went to turn the key on and the lights didn't turn on, so I had blown a fuse. Had to get a 30 to replace the mate. Having done so much work on the alternator, I think it actually influenced my ability to determine that it was just a freaking fuse. I had to laugh at myself about that. Didn't you ground out the lead on the alternator? I did. I saw the zot because it connects to the main. So I knew that there was a spark, and then when everything would not kick on, I knew that that was probably what caused the issue, but didn't allow myself to just realize, hey, it's going to be a fuse. So a buddy was over here helping me out with the Nighthawk 250, which I'm very happy to say is going to be reassembled tonight, which means I'll have a winter-ready motorcycle that I can ride with a little bit more abandon, less concern for, because it's just a Nighthawk 250. While he was here, we went through the electrics on the Bandit and couldn't come up with a solution, and then we just realized it's probably a fuse. <laughs> it is. And then I waited a day and fixed it, and we're all good. Yeah, if you spark something and ground out a hot wire, check your fuses. Yeah, and I can't wait to have the Honda back together, because I've set my weather threshold to 40 degrees. If the temperature is 40 degrees or above, that's my 50% mark for take it or leave it and go riding. And now I have a bike to do that on. Yeah, I took the, the, the Buell out a couple of weeks ago, and it was well under that, but then I dropped it on an icy road, so... Yeah, I remember that. I was going to say the electrical issues on the band were probably easier than when I was wiring my garage. <laughs> and the 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 circuit that runs in the garage and also the basement also runs through the bathrooms on the other side of the house. And when the circuit blew and none of the breakers were blown, it took me a while to figure out that you have to reset the circuit at the outlet in the bathroom. And is that GFI? Yeah, it's GF... GF uh GFCI ground fault circuit interruption sure but it's all so the the like all the outlets that are like outside the garage and then in the garage that need to be GFCI'd like the ones in the bathroom they just put them all on one circuit GFCI'd the first outlet which is in the bathroom and then it's not run to a breaker in the box downstairs <laughs> I think that's safe though if it so long as it is uh, so long as it is set up for that. Yeah, I just had to figure out why I shorted um, a connection in the garage and no breakers were blown in the basement. And then once I figured it out, why do I have to go to the absolute opposite side of the house and reset it in the bathroom? I don't know. So every time you blow a breaker, well, a not breaker in the garage, you're just going to be like, I got to go use the bathroom. I'll be right back. Yeah, right. I guess it's a good time if I, if I do that to, to, to take a break from the garage. Well, I'll let that lead us into the most recently updated site features and developments. A couple of little things to start things off. When you click on the date in the top right-hand corner of the site, that'll take you to Today in Motorcycle History and a new window, which is a nice, simple blog maintained on another website. I just found it to be so interesting that I figured I'd go ahead and link everything over to that. So no matter what day it is, if you come to visit the site and you click on that link, it will take you to today's most historic events in motorcycling. Beyond that, we had a little bit of an issue with the map downloads. I had to uh, disengage the ability to purchase maps only because the plugin I was using to allow for that was giving 
the site a lot of hassle and getting us into trouble. I've since replaced it with my own code. So maps are once again for sale via download through PayPal. We've finished the weather math calculations. The bugs with that are coming along. We got an advisory key that's scaled down so there's not a giant color hodgepodge. Uh, we're soon to give the navigation a full boost so you can find everything again. And we're going to add a route planner that allows you to type in a list of cities before it creates both a high-speed expressways map as well as a highways efficient map, a second level map, before you start writing out your own twisties. Soon we'll be adding guided tours. So keep an eye out for that. We're hoping to lead tours on a whim based on scheduling abilities. That page will be up and running in the next month or so. And of course, I still need to make a page for this podcast. That's the truth, man. This this podcast needs its own page. I just haven't figured out how I want to put it in the navigation yet. And that's it. So there's your updated site features and developments. For the podcast, would we use like a SoundCloud style plugin or something? We could. I'm not going to. I think I wanted to have a dedicated page that'll actually show the current podcast ready to play with basic information after that for what we talked about and then a drop down menu to select different episodes. There's not a hosting issue with um, file size or anything or in streaming? No, we have a really great server in that regard. We have unlimited bandwidth. It's nice. It's good. And that brings us to off the bike topics for wrenching, reading, leisure and such. I have it right here in front of me. Motorcycle Consumer News went on sale for six months at five bucks. I just got a six-month cons- subscription to Motorcycle Consumer News. Wasn't uh, Motorcyclist having a similar? Someone someone posted that on the on the Facebook group on the Super Slick Ultra Badass Motorcycle Mega Pass Incredible Power. That, I believe, was for Motorcycle Consumer News. It may have been me. Oh, it might have been. Because I think there was a because I remember I signed up for two magazines because when I did one, they were like, would you like this other one? It's also super cheap. Add on. And I got, I got my first issue of Motorcyclist. Do you need windshield wiper fluid? No. Impulse buy. Oh. Um, I saw you clicked on this. Do you also need this? <laughs> we saw that you bought this last week. Would you like 40 more of the same thing? I saw you bought some rope. Would you like a ball gag? That's not what the rope's for. It's, <laughs> calm down, Amazon. <laughs> well... Yeah, so that marks a third magazine. You mentioned Motorcyclist. Now, a good friend of mine referred me to two magazines in particular, Rider Magazine and Motorcycle Consumer News. I checked out Rider Magazine. I found it to be pretty cool. But Motorcycle Consumer News, I think, is the kind of information that I personally need so that I can start to assimilate data that I'm not really used to processing. Reading information about bikes that I'm not really used to trying to get through or understand so that the terminology becomes more familiar, the the you know the dimensions the the variables will become more easy for me to understand and so I got myself a six month I'm gonna read that thing you know, front to back every issue I'm gonna be checking that out yeah I think MCN does they do more in depth they're a lot more technical specifications on the reviews and stuff <laughs> motorcyclist is a little little more fluffy but it's fun and they got I got the issue with the 2016 uh, bikes preview so oh, nice which I'm hoping I'm hoping uh, many of those end up at the IMS in February in Chicago when we go. Yep, press passes are ready. We'll be going to the 2016 International Motorcycle Show in... Uh, the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont, Illinois. <laughs> there it is. Conveniently located just minutes from O'Hare Airport. This should be a good one if we play it right. I'm going to keep my press pass in my pocket, hidden, because I don't really want that kind of attention. If they, I don't, I've never done that before. We'll see how it goes, you know? No, if they give us like a, some sort of special credential to wear, I'm just going to wear it. And then when I go to all of the manufacturer booths and know more about the bikes and the guys who are running the booths, It'll be it'll be doubly embarrassing for them. Yes, <laughs> that's a good plan. Yeah, that's always my favorite. Is this? Does this have the Showa shocks on it? Um. Oh, let me get on my knees and look. Oh yeah, this has Showa shocks on it. Great. Does it have whatever you know the Bosch fuel injectors? Um. Oh yeah, I just pulled it up on my phone. Or I'll tell you right now exactly who needs to be on the lookout for me is Suzuki. I've 
been good to Suzuki. I like their bikes, and I know I'm going to approach their booth. And if I mention the word sport touring, they're going to say, oh, well, have a look at this. And it's going to be either a naked or half-fared bike with no luggage package. Exactly how is that touring? And I'm going to hammer them about it this time. Last time I was a little bit gentle. This year, I'm going to ask that they explain themselves, should that be the case. Suzuki, if you're going to offer something and tell your guys to represent it as sport touring, there better be some luggage. Yeah, or at least say like, oh, GV is making something that's a bolt-on fitment for this. That isn't some, you know... Cause like S like nothing wrong like you like your SW Motec stuff yeah you know SW Motec does a good job but it's always like you get an adapter for your bike and then put their adapter on and then put the you know it's it's bulky whereas I feel like when you look at something like the the new verse verses is is um like though the luggage on those bikes is beautiful like it's it's nice luggage you know when you get if you get the like the LT the well the in the U.S., the 1000 only comes with an LT trim or the LT650 with the luggage, the color match luggage. It's color matched. It's key matched, lockable, and the way it clips onto the bike when you take it off, it doesn't look like something's missing. That's a good feature. Yeah. Yeah. The way it slides into the tail, like the 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 tail section, and then onto uh, the passenger foot peg when you take it off, it doesn't look like there's something gone. Yeah, and I will say in favor of the SW Motex, I mean, I can remove that hardware. It is pop on, pop off. It's customized that way. But the luggage itself, when it's on, you can tell that they said, here are the opportune connection points. Here is the luggage that will fit onto the plaque, you know, the universal adapter that we offer for that. And then they sort of drew a paint pattern that allows it to, if you decide to look at it as such, have a more sleek profile. But in the end, it's just a couple of big bubbles on the back that hold everything. Yeah, it's not, um, which, you know, I feel like if you, if you have like an old GL 1000 or, sure, um, you know, uh, uh, an eighties UJM, like, cause they're just kind of square in the sure, rear. Sure, perf- perfect fit. They perfect fit right fit. on. But like, you know, anything after the nineties, is kind of a sport bike where they started kind of sculpting the tails and it has, yeah. uh, has shape to the back. Like if it doesn't fit closely with that, it just looks like it sticks out a foot and a half before you even get to the bag. Sure. And moreover, it's a luxurious problem to complain about. Don't think that we don't know that. It's just that this is what we do. So we have words to comment on the matter. Yeah, exactly. Because my big one, it's like that. It's got that curvy plastic on the tail. And so even when you put soft bags on it, it looks at, well, the soft bags like rub on the point where the curve bends over. And then they didn't make luggage for that bike either. So. That's why I'd like to learn to fabricate if I could. You can always look on your bike and find points that you personally would trust if you wanted to build something to hold luggage on it and then fabricate to suit something even that was easy to remove. But that's not in my skill set. I'm going to have to build that up eventually. Yeah, like until you need, you know, a good uh, either a machine shop or a good home shop with that sort of metal fabrication with a welder and a, a miter saw and a good drill press. And uh, you know, probably some bending jigs to bend because a lot of a lot of the GVs they use that that looped round stock to for connection points. Yes, I got a couple other things listed here just out of interest. If you're not riding, keeping your senses honed, 
I got the in-house drone. That was one of three gifts I got my wife for Christmas. We got a small, tiny, 15-minute battery drone that we've been flying around the house, having a lot of fun with that. It's got a built-in camera and all that stuff. What, uh, is it a Parrot? No, it's not a Parrot. It's some $50 thing that Best Buy didn't want to admit they had it. Oh, you know, the only drone we have at that price is this, the Parrot Bebop at like 400 bucks or 250 I don't know. I'm, I'm not looking at one right now. So. Yeah, the Bebop's like the top, the top Parrot model. Well, we do have one that you can program to go wherever you want it to. But the point is, is that we have this little drone and it just kind of keeps you honed in on hand-eye coordination of sorts with mechanical objects. Yeah, they're fun. I have a little, it's not a quadcopter. It's just a, it's a RC traditional single rotor helicopter, um, or I guess dual rotor helicopter. But that thing's fun to fly around the house. The dog, the dog hates it though. Dog is <laughs> so afraid of it. It's that whistling sound going around in the air. What is, what was that mosquito? What, speaking of whistles, deer whistles. I got two deer whistles. Per the suggestion of a friend on Facebook, whose opinion I trust now and then, and these on the package, they say tested, proven, they work, amazing product, buy 50 of them. So I got one package, and they're, I mean, they're tiny little things. I thought it was going to be some big, clunky, ugly thing to put on my bike. So I got them in the mail. They are two little whistles. They're easy to use. They got the, uh, what is that high strength adhesive tape? Oh, like the weird 3M stuff. Yeah, it's got the the tape, and then you fasten that to a plank, which I'm going to be fastening on the side of the bike. I do this, and then the friend I was talking about that came over to help me work on the Nighthawk 250 arrives, and the first thing out of his mouth, well, they don't work. <laughs> very, very outspoken about the fact that deer whistles do nothing. Although, I, I don't know, these, these have a reputation for being successful, so I believe there must be a lot of really bad products on the market and that this one is supposed to work rather well. Yeah, I, I did some research on the deer whistles after your run-in with the deer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. After after is always good. Could be before. It seems like most of the research is inconclusive. I mean, it's really hard to test that sort of thing. Um, and it seems like, yeah, it's most of the time it's like, uh, they don't really help that much or they, maybe they do a little bit, but they're relatively inexpensive. Sure. Why not? Right. And yeah. It's like they're inexpensive and unobtrusive. Might as well, you know, if some guy thinks that putting a little pewter bell on his bike is going to keep him safe, you might as well put some deer whistles on. It's going to be better than the little pewter bell. Every little bit that might is worth at least considering if... I may say. Yeah, well, you just, you just do a cost-benefit analysis. If the cost is $10 and the benefit's minimal, it's like, well, the cost is minimal, so might as well. Well, you and I both have a music background, so there's also that. It puts out a high-frequency, you know, dog range whistle and in two, I think they're a whole tone apart. So that's perfect dissonance right next to each other. Yeah. And that's going to be an eerie sound. What's more is I think one gets lower as it gets more air and the other gets higher as it gets more air. So they, they flex, the sound flexes against itself, creating strange waveforms. Yeah. It's supposed to bug the deer more than the sound of a screaming 1200cc oil cooled. <laughs> yeah. Robin hasn't figured out how to use the shifter yet. So it's just always in first gear. <laughs> Moving right along to site-inspired topics from written articles. Again, we want to mention our sponsors. This week's Writing Obsession podcast is brought to you by nobody. Nobody. It's who's sponsoring this podcast. Nobody. It's who you need when you don't need anybody. Nobody. So somebody, plenty of people may have noticed that 
I mean, the front of the front of the website hasn't changed in a while. We haven't written any articles. I am writing an article right now, and I'm hoping more people are going to do that soon. If you're interested in writing for the site, please do. We invite content. But the one, the most interesting topic that is still stuck in my head, even though I'm not writing right now because of the winter, is finding good short local routes. It seems to be a predicament for anybody who wants to get out for a, an hour on the bike or so. And fortunately, you don't have that problem, Mr. Madison. Well, yeah, that's why I moved to Wisconsin and not to Chicago. Uh, good for you. Just go, if you get the Nighthawk, just go go blast Lower Wacker in the middle of the night. I've done that before. We have a video of that. That's Do we fun. not? Pretend you're Batman. I'm Batman. Yeah, that's a little bit out of my range these days, though. I'm in the North Chicagoland area, so the best I got is Sheridan, which is not so bad. It's pretty good. But to all those Indiana folks out there, <laughs> sorry. I actually was going to make a trip from... Chicago to Columbus, and the best I could come up with was avoid anything that is a main road and go left to right to left to right to left to left to right to right to right to left over and over until I get to Columbus. Yeah, northern northern Indiana is pretty flat. Southern Indiana has good roads. Mm-hmm. And actually, the if you take US forty one, like the Dunes National Highway, which kind of doesn't it goes a little further north if you're going to Columbus and you'd maybe want to, it's pretty Dunes National Highway. Yeah. I'm going to make a note of that because I'm going to be visiting my home city of Columbus a couple of times this year, I hope. Yeah, so you can just, if you get, if you jump over to US 41 and it, that's Lakeshore Drive through downtown and you just stay on it, um, it's, uh, I've taken that trip to Michigan a couple of times and it's, it's nice, um, you know, and like you're only, the first time I took it, people were like, that takes you right through Gary. <laughs> and I was like, I used to, ha- I used to hang out in Saginaw, man, when I was a kid and yeah, you don't. I used to like go down to Flint. But does Saginaw smell like Gary? Worse. There's a sugar beet processing plant. <laughs> wow. Actually, I think the sugar beet processing plant's in might be in Bay City. It's like right between. It's on Bay Road. It's right between. But if the wind's blowing the right way and it blows the smoke off the sugar beet processing, like down onto the road, oh man, <laughs> that's. If anyone knows about sugar beet processing, they you know they make granulated sugar out of it, but it's like from beets. <laughs> so there's a perhaps bitter onion overtone. It's just it's, it's I I can't describe it. It's like sickeningly sweet and like gross rotten vegetation smell. Drink Coca-Cola. <laughs> and they and they wreck your car. We have to like if when you during sugar beet season, if there's a truck in front of you, a sugar beet truck, you make sure you got 200 yards clearance because if one of those beets comes off. They're the size of your head, and they weigh about you know ten pounds. Oh, wow! <laughs> smash a car up. Hey, take the reins here. What can you tell me about the status of Eric Buell Racing? Because I've heard two sides of a same coin. Uh, yeah, I've heard a couple of things there. I know that they went under, then they got bought out by like an Indian company that uh, tried to bring them back. And then I think they went under again, and then they were up for sale, and they got bought by a financial conglomerate company out of Michigan that um, they're called like liquid liquid assets or something like that. Like it's basically a company that just buys burnt out companies and liquidates them. That sounds like what everybody was concerned about on the Super Slick was uh, that one person thought they were going to be liquidated completely. The other thought they were going to be restored and put into action. Yeah. So, I mean, it could go either way. The company that, that bought them is like not a motor. So they're just a financial business, like capital B business company. They 
they go in and they buy companies and then they sell companies or they liquidate the companies and sell the assets. Um, so I imagine whatever becomes more profitable for them. So if, if, if they find an investor uh, company or whatever, um, rich privateer that's going to front the money up and buy the company out and bring it back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, you know, I kind of wonder if like someone like Polaris. Oh, wow. That'd be great, right? Would, wouldn't be cool. Cause like, cause Polaris brought, um, they bought uh, Impulse, uh-huh. right? The electric. So like Polaris owns Victory Motorcycles and they bought Bramo, the electric bike company. So now there's the Victory Impulse TT. Like it used to be the Bramo electric bike and now they call it a Victory. But Victory is a cruiser brand. So they have this electric sport bike now. But I think if Polaris bought Eric Buell Racing, they could keep the brand, which is known for sport bikes, and then bring the the Bramo guys in, which is an American company too, and have like Bramo, maybe still call it Victory, maybe call it Buell, maybe call it something else, and then merge that sport bike and the electric bike and have that and have their sport bike division because Polaris doesn't have a sport motorcycle division; they have their their quads and their side by sides and their snowmobiles and their cruisers, the victories. Yeah, that's an ingenious idea to kind of spider out like that to complete the different segments and genre for your own. I mean, there's no reason that Eric Buell's concepts need to be mismanaged. Yeah, the man is smart. He knows how to design a damn fine bike, but there's always the matter of who is in charge of how his end result is being marketed. Yeah, and I, I think that the problem with EBR was that they made essentially one bike. They made one high-end sport bike, and they sold it in sport, fully fared, and like naked trim. Like naked, they had a naked street rider version and a fully fared sport version, and they were twenty grand plus. And that, right, yeah. and those are the only models that they had. And it just you're not, you know, yeah, especially in today's market, like you. You look at what Honda is doing, what Yamaha is doing, Suzuki to a lesser extent, but then they just went through a bankruptcy. But when Honda came out with like the CB500 model line for, you know, you're like good bikes for six grand, five grand, you know, and that's kind of where the market is. Like you need to have that affordable range and be able to do some volume manufacture, which I think if you get someone like Polaris behind you, you know, because Buell was already using Rotax engines and Polaris uses Rotax in almost all their stuff. I don't know who's building the Victory engines, but like all of their off-road stuff. Keep us riding. Keep Americans wanting to ride. If a bike is that expensive, first off, we don't want to have to finance that, especially if out the door, if anything should happen to it, what's it going to take to get it back on the road? Uh, are they going to back up their product with warranties and things like that? But also, you know, there was some guy at a desk who is thinking what there's really no harm in thinking i should be able to get everything from this bike that everything for this bike that i can and he's just hurting the business by not getting a good price for it and making it a big thing making it available to everybody yeah i mean and i thought they were good bikes so the reviews were were mixed on it um i i like the old buells when they were on their harley sure and i and i think i mean i think it's a great concept like you take eric buells like amazing chassis and you put in this like super simple engine in it. What was it called? It was a, what is it called? It's like a center of gravity. The mass centralization design. Mass centralization design. That's 
amazing. And you could see it. I remember being at the track day. I talked about this in one other podcast where I was sitting there and so I heard this. I look to my right and there's just these two wheels that are almost touching. And this dude in full leather is getting ready to beat the crap out of the, the track. It was a great thing to see. Yeah. Super short wheelbase with just a big lump in the middle. Just torque. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I, I think is working, especially like the the last of the Harley Gen that didn't have the Harley motors in them. They had the Rotex, the 1125s. Yes. Those are great bikes. Um, and I think, like I said, I think his stuff, he needs to get rid of that big single brake disc design. I think that's just a bad idea. Um, I get I get it, but it, it's not practical. But other than that, like his designs are, are really solid. So maybe, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll get saved. We'll see. Well, keeping things moving here, we'll be getting into some tour planning in a moment, but I also wanted to make mention of some tour planning sites that have caught my eye recently. Actually, one in particular called Furkot, F-U-R-K-O-T dot com. This site feels like it's operated by between one and five individuals versus a number of people programming at the same time as part of some team. It just seems like it is... It has an independent feel to it. It's a great site, and I only found it because for the riding obsession, I'm trying to build a route planner that is extremely useful, only to find that Furkit, brand new or not, has already done a lot of what I'm trying to do. They have a free membership. There's paid memberships. But essentially what I did was I went to the site to just check this thing out. I saw it in a forum. The person who owns the site itself had posted to the forums inviting feedback. Who does that? There are so many different services out there that want to tell you what you want. We made this service. You want it. Here's why. And then you question something or you ask them for a feature. Sorry, we can't do that because you don't want that. And there's, you know, tons of online services that are like that. This one, not so much. You can enter all kinds of things. So I planned a route that would possibly be our entire high-speed expressways time-saving route from Chicago to Chicago or from Madison to Madison via all kinds of great, well, just expressways for the most part, just to test it out. And it asked me all kinds of questions I didn't expect. Where do we want to sleep? And I put camping or budget motels just because. And Because you're cheap. Because I'm cheap. And it said, how many miles would you like to ride in a day? I said, yeah, 250, 250 miles. Keep it comfortable. Keep the knees feeling all right for that kind of duration. Because we're talking about going Chicago all the way down to Etowah, North Carolina, to D.C., to Vermont, through Canada. And that's a long, you know, keep it at 250. Keep the endurance in check. And by connecting the dots city to city in the way that I'm actually in attempting, I'm in attempts of putting some together to do kind of the same thing, it gave me various hotels at a good price that have a static cost, as well as campsites, roads to take. You can turn expressways on or off just like you would with Google Maps. It, one thing it doesn't do yet, and I think they've been called out for this, is it doesn't provide known, popular, worth riding twisties, which is, I think there is a massive market for that. If there is a route planner that you can specify the time intervals that will plan the twisties for you, not that there's nothing to be said for going out and exploring. I love that. That's a good thing. But I think it'd be cool to just be able to say point A to point B, give me some twisties. I got this much time. I'm in a bit of a hurry. Got a meeting. Make it happen. And then the map would do it. Fergit's cool. I think we need to keep an eye on this one because they might be a great collaboration. And also, you know, they got the same color scheme as us. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know what the algorithm would have to be like to, to look at the map and have the have the algorithm figure out like this is a twisty road and this is a straight road that'd be pretty or like if you just need to get that sort of data collection where if you're having human input say this part's twisty and this part's not and go through all the roads in the united states 
crowdsourcing might be the key to that. Some kind yeah. of social interaction or a forum or a communication base. Which, uh, unless like Google decides they want to do it, I think Google's the only place that's going to have the 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 power and the numbers for that sort well, of data acquisition. In terms of actually reading through the coordinates. There's, yeah, Google has the power to come up with the software, but coordinates are coordinates. And if you have a GPX file or something with a line and a lot of waypoints, there's a lot to be taken from that data. It might be a successful upvote system. So crowdsource, not just, hi, my name is Shabadoo McGillicuddy, and I really like this road, so you should add it to your blah, blah, blah. More of a thing where somebody submits a route, and then it has to be upvoted by a series of writers before it gets added to the complete mix uh-huh. as a, a waypoint twisty route. And kind of like a Reddit sort of thing. Yeah. Like, I like, I'm Shabadoo McGillicuddy and I like, I like this road. And someone's like, yeah, that road. Shabadoo's a jerk, man. Yeah, well, you know, he's fun unless he's been drinking. <laughs> Wasn't he? I thought he was a glue guy. <laughs> well, you know, he's got the kid now, so he's taking it easy. <laughs> Shabadoo isn't a real person, just to let you know. Now, there's one thing that Firkit has that the others don't. Firkit will show you grid roads and gravel roads. And what's really important about that is I don't know what grid roads are. Grid, like country country blocks? I guess so. Yeah, like roads, like the county line. Like county line road is a grid. Sure. Because it, it marks out the county. Well, if that's, okay, that makes sense. Well, I, not everybody knows that. And now they do. You know why? Because they're listening to the Writing Obsession podcast, brought to you by thewritingobsession.com. This, this week's episode is brought to you by nobody. And now for some listener questions. We have one from a friend, Kevin Mulcahy of Madison, Wisconsin, asking about the battery issues for the Cenas. <coughs> or actually, what was he asking about? He was asking about uh, which systems we rock when we're riding, what what wireless audio systems we use, and I use the Cena SMH10. You've got the, you had the SMH5, and now you have the uh, S- the 10R, the, 10R. the yeah. SMH10R, yeah, which has um, I have the SMH10R, which has been replaced with the Just 10R. That is awesome. Um, but the on the good news, I know on um, I forget which site I was on, one of the one of the online retailers. The SMH10R, the the older model, the Bluetooth 3.0, with like the eight hour battery, uh, is like 160, 165. Like it's super cheap. That's a good price. Yeah. So, is that for one or two? One. All right. Yeah, we got two with the earbud connection, which I then split into both earbuds and speakers, and we have an article on the site about all that stuff. But. Kevin was asking about how we wired, how I wired my stuff up. Hey, he asked us both, but I knew for a fact that you went with just speakers, right? Yeah, I just went with speakers because my ears don't like earbuds. Fair enough. Yeah, everybody's ear wells are different. If you're not going to go spend the extra cash to get in ear monitors, which musicians tend to do that, but whatever. I'm a bass player. I just need to hear the drum. <laughs> I was like, can I get bass drum? Can I get bass drum, hi hat, and snare? And that's all, that's all I need. What song are we, what song are we playing? Can I get more talent in my monitor, please? Can you turn down the suck a little bit? Just turn down the suck and give me some talent in this monitor right here. And some slapback. Need some slapback. <laughs> well, there is a bad link. There was was a bad link on the site. One of our most popular pages is how to replace the battery in your SMH5. And the resource that we had linked to on eBay was selling a, a battery that was ever so slightly thicker than the one that is necessary. I've since updated that to... Two particular batteries that will work. One is made by a Canadian uh, company in Canada. The other one is another eBay purchase that has the proper dimensions. So if you're having any problems with your SMH5 battery, check that out. But Kevin wanted to blast the jams, quote unquote, in his helmet. What I ended up doing was I took 
the earbud interface for the SMH10 ran a headphone splitter with one wire going to earbuds and the other wire going to two internal speakers so that if I'm in a hurry, I can just pop on the helmet and I'll still have audio. And if I feel like getting full sound, I go with the earbuds, which actually with the speakers sounds smoking. Sounds great. Yeah, I may, when we go to IMS, the uh, plug it up, uh, plug it up.com is where I get my custom molded ear plugs from. Yeah. So at the IMS, they will do your custom motor earplugs on site. It takes about an hour for them to cure. And it, what are they called? Plug it up. Plug it up. Okay. You know, Plugitup.com is their website. They're out of Florida, but they travel around with the IMS. And if you go to the show, you sit down in the chair and the lady sticks like sticks a plug in your ear, like all the way in your ear, and then takes a syringe of uh, quick hardening um, epoxy uh, foam and injects your ear and takes an imprint of your ear right there at the show. And if you just want plugs, they'll uh, take that, take it out, cure it, seal it. And it takes about an hour to cure all the way, and then you come back. And you, you can walk out, of the, walk out of the show with custom-molded ear plugs for 60 bucks. Nice. Yeah, they do sell a really great driver, like a really great headphone driver. So I, they'll let you test it, and then they clean it off. <laughs> they have a tester. Um, that like disappears right into your ear. But that's, what is a headphone driver? Like the like an earbud. It's an earbud. The speaker. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, but it's it's super tiny and it's like silicone finned and it goes into your ear. Like there's no bud on the outside and they sound great and they actually isolate fairly well. Um, but they're expensive. They're like a hundred and thirty for like the one driver model and then they have a two driver model. It's got two like two speakers in each ear. Um, that's more. And then if you want those embedded in a custom molded plug, you know, you're talking, you know, custom molded monitor price, you know, 300 bucks. That's where it starts to sound like somebody getting all that they can for something when if they would just cut the price by half, more people might do it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, There's another company that makes earbuds for their system that they charge $60 for those earbuds and you don't actually know if they're going to work with your ears. So even that's another example of them saying, the, you don't even know if these are good, but because we have forced you to go with this digital connection instead of a standard uh, eighth-inch connector, you're going to pay us what we ask you for because that's how it's connected to our module. Yeah, so it's uh, you know it's always tough. That's why I, I wish there was um, a more more of a market for those custom-molded headphone solutions with uh, sound detonating included. Yeah. Also, to finalize my answer to another question you had was how we charge the units on the bikes. I actually have a USB adapter that connects to the tender access, and that's how I that's what I plug my Cena's into when I'm charging. Yeah, I'll have to figure that out with the big one because the, the BMW has the PowerLit. Yeah. The OEM PowerLit connector, which I really liked PowerLit over like cigarette lighter style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if I'm selling the BMW, which I think I'm probably going to do in the spring... I'll have to figure and keeping the big one, I'll have to figure out some wiring for the big one, which is hard because it doesn't have a fairing and there's nowhere to put anything. Oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> or you just hang it all off the windshield, so when you turn, everything turns. Cup holders, farkles, everything. Everything. I'm just gonna mod it out like a '60 scooter, just <laughs> 20 mirrors on it. Make it look like a Chinese dragon. <laughs> maybe I'll. Maybe I'll. Ah uh, uh, yeah. That's see, if, see if I can find a local fabricator. <laughs> and fabricate some sort of bracket or something that would be useful. And to, clu- to conclude our questions, I want to say thanks to Kevin about that one. Uh, you can email your questions and concerns to podcast at com. 
That's podcast at thewritingobsession.com or call 773-614-6422. That is our online phone number. Feel free to call and ask any questions. We would be happy to answer them. We might not answer any that aren't pertinent to the, yeah, you know how it goes. Unless it's really, really funny and then we might just play it for play it for entertainment value and maybe answer. We'll, we'll put a response up. So tune in next time, everybody. We're going to do a dedicated route planning episode. We started to do a little bit of that during our last podcast. We're going to do an entire episode dedicated strictly to that next week or the week after or the week after that or probably 2017. Anyhow, <laughs> those, uh, those are the closing remarks. And uh, I'll say one last time that this, ep- this episode of the Writing Obsession podcast is brought to you by nobody. Nobody. Nobody doesn't like nobody. Nobody. They're the people that brought you this podcast. That's our episode for this round. Tune in next time for more discussion on all things specific to sport touring or universal to motorcycling as a whole. For theridingobsession.com, I'm Robin Dean. I'm Travis Burleson. Safe travels, everyone.